One of the things I want to talk about today is GMing. If you aren't a tabletop RPG nerd, what I'm talking about is being the person in charge of running a tabletop game. There are various titles for that depending on the game, from Dungeon Master to Game Master to Narrator to, my favorite, Hollyhock God. What all those titles have in common is that they describe the person who describes and sometimes even creates the world in which the player's characters reside and act. And it is a skill that is actually a portfolio of diverse skills. Depending on the game you're playing, you're probably going to have to get comfortable with math, and sometimes higher math, narrative structure and plot, characterization, world building, politics, and organization. You have to learn to herd cats to get your players at the table. You have to learn to act a little and cultivate a good poker face. You have to learn your players' personalities, likes and dislikes, to give them the best gaming experience. And having learned all these things, you have to learn to throw everything out the window and improvise your ass off when, and it's always when, not if, your players throw you a curve. For me, there is an almost spiritual feeling about sitting down to the gaming table. I've been doing it for 30 years and there is a ritual and weight to it. There is a wonderful moment right before things get started where I look around the table and try to read my players' moods. Who's had a bad week? Who's in a good mood? Is there anticipation to get started right away or do I need to ease them into the game? Should we start with an action scene or something light and work our way into the conflict? Making those choices, I take a sip of my drink, glance down at my notes, take my dice in hand, even if I don't need them right that second, and the game is on. It is a singular and unique pleasure to be able to take people out of their lives for a few hours at a time, to become lost together in a fantastic world of magic or warp drives or superheroes, to see the unguarded emotions on people's faces as they confront the challenges of the game and do their level best to save the day, or at least keep their heads above water, making sure each player gets time to shine and their character gets the spotlight for a while, being able to evoke emotional responses and to have my players surprise me with not just their characters' actions, but how well they live those characters sometimes. Those are the moments when I lose myself, or perhaps find myself. And there is no other kind of entertainment that comes close to role-playing when it comes to letting you get to those heights of shared imagination. We don't talk much about it as gamers, largely because self-examination in a group can be obnoxious and because our modern society has a problem with admitting that any kind of love exists, outside Eros and Storage, which is to say romantic love and familial. But jamming is, in some ways, an expression of agape and philia, the love of one's fellows and a kind of spiritual love for your shared experience and one another. The fact that the experience isn't real isn't all that important. Most of the best memories you have with friends and family are already mythologized and embroidered until what everybody remembers has little to do with the truth. Gaming memories are just that taken a little further into the worlds that were never really there. What matters is that there is a kind of service to others in GMing. My pleasure in running a game is almost entirely reflected. Am I making my players happy? That makes me happy. Are they experiencing a second of awe and wonder at something? I feel it with them, along with the pride of having helped them there. Do they hate my villains and love my supporting NPCs? There is no higher praise than that. GMing is the illusion of control over an illusionary universe, freeing your players and yourself to step outside themselves and live just for a few hours in worlds where anything is possible 
and everybody gets to be the protagonist. That is a powerful, wonderful shared experience and one of my favorite things in life. Kurt Thompson, Google+. Welcome to Gaming NBS, episode 53, a tabletop podcast that talks about RPG games as well as other miscellaneous topics of geekery. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. And for new listeners, thank you for joining us, and I hope you uh, like what you hear. Yeah, so announcements... Nothing much. We've got EverCon coming in January, as I mentioned last time. Um, and we, have, of course, have Gamehole coming in November. And holy shit, I look at the old calendar, and it's pretty much the middle of September already, dude. We're going to be at Gamehole running around forgetting, oh, my God, I, I forgot to set that thing up. Where's my banner? Where's my this? Ah, shit. It's going to happen. It's coming. <laughs> got to get my games ready, man. I know. I got some work to do, too. Ugh. Should be fun, though. Other than that, I don't think there's anything new from an announcement's perspective. All right, sweet. Uh, yeah, let's get into Random Encounter. Do it. Random Encounter, segment of the show where we talk about emails, voicemails, comments and from social media and our blog, from folks that have written in or commented on our episodes. You want to start off, Brett? I can do that. Mr. Mo Tusno, the Canadian god, god of gaming, the game father, and um, secret supporter of the show, and um, you know, for our little cadre of assassins. Anyway, um, the bait and switch. He's talking about the weird our la- um, episode, a couple episodes ago. What is it? Episode 51, I think. Um, never, he says. Tried it a handful of times. Always thought it would be awesome, and pretty much every time it went bad. Um, quick recap, folks. I mentioned during the weird component of when we're talking about things is that sometimes doing it as a bait and switch, you know, kind of slamming some weird on top of people or Gonzo for our um, discussion last episode could be kind of bad, and Mo is reacting to that. Now letting the players, back to Mo here, now letting the players know ahead of time that it's possible that something, quote, weird, unquote, may happen can go really well. Back when I was running D&D uh, 3.5, I found a copy of Return to the Temple of Frog. Before I ran it, I talked to the group after one game session to gauge their interest in adding some sci-fi to a D&D game. <clears throat> Excuse me. That particular campaign was already set up as a, quote, let's play old school classic modules, deadly murder hobo, all about the loot style, unquote. So I thought it would work. The players thought it sounded awesome and it went even better than expected, but they knew it was coming. Not the specifics, but that I was going to add in some sci-fi elements at some point. Pretty cool. That's the type of thing that if I were playing, I would like to know that ahead of time. That it's possible or, hey, when I run my games, I like to do this type of thing. So if you don't grok that, then you might not want to be here. At least that type of table stakes. Sean, you're, you're up next. All right. See, oh, where am I? I lost my, my, my mark here. Got Darcy's. Darcy Ross regarding the weird episode. Nice episode. I'm a quote-unquote weird player and GM. All my games get a little weird, and I just can't get enough of it. I think that's why I dig Numenera so hard. It lets me indulge in the weird with reckless abandon. Well, not reckless. Weird is best paired with the familiar, such as classic fantasy tropes. First write-in, I think, or a comment by Darcy, who I follow on Google+. She is quite the Numenera aficionado. Yeah, I've seen some of Darcy's stuff. I think she's in my list, but definitely plenty of Numenera stuff from Darcy. So yes. that's cool. 
Sweet. Thanks. I'll grab the next one from Victor. Yeah, thanks for commenting, Darcy. Absolutely. Uh, Victor says, Brett B., apparently talking to me. If you're interested in Le Legends of the Flame Princess, or like, excuse me, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, ooh, my bad, then check out the rules. The artless version is free. The best description I've heard of it is a slightly fantasy version of historical renaissance with horror of the Lovecraftian kind mixed in, often very gory and normally deadly to the characters. He's got a link, which will be in the show notes, to the um, image-free version. Thank you, Victor. I had not actually seen that. I just kind of poked around a little bit, hadn't gone that far. Um, he goes on to say, also, snag a copy of The Doom That Came to the Crystal-Headed Children. It's an adventure that came out for free RPG day. You'll get a taste for the weirdness that happens in Lamentations of the Flame Princess with it. He's got a link there as well for us. Well, Victor, plethora of links. Mutant Crawl Classics is the next game to come out from Goodman Games. It's going to be the DC Seed version of Gamma World and to be 100% compatible with DCC. Dungeon Crawl Classics, by the by. So with DCC, you have fantasy with a little sci-fi weirdness mixed in, and with MCC, Mutant Crawl Classics, you'll have sci-fi with a bit more fantasy mixed in. I think Sean Kelly was referring to Crawl Jammer or Crawling Under a Broken Moon. I haven't read either, but one has been touted as Spell Jammer for DCC, and the other is Gamma World in zine format. By the way, I've been tempted to run a DCC game online and might try to rope you and the Misdirected Mark guys in. I'll let you know more if I decide to get that going. That could be a hoot. That could be fun. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Victor. Next. Voicemail. Let me uh, see if I can pull this up. And I got to let. So let's turn this up on Brett. All right. Voicemail from Joe. Hey, guys. It's Joe again. I just wanted to say thank you for bringing up Eberron in episode 46. It's what really got me into the hobby more than anything else. Uh, and just out of curiosity, because it sounds like Brett's not read about it, uh, you may want to have Brett actually have a look at the core book or something for 3.5 or 4.0 even, just to see what he thinks of it. I'm actually interested in on hearing both of you guys weigh in on some of the details of the setting. But anyway, keep up the good work, and I'm slowly catching up here. Bye. Cool. Uh, yeah, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for taking the time to call in, Joe. Absolutely. Yeah. I have, I know 3.0, I know 3.5. But I have not read the Eberron setting. I believe my buddy Lenny had a copy of it when it first came out, and I perused it. And Sean definitely knows more than I do. So I think, Sean, if you've got that book, or I might have to snag a used copy somewhere and look through it. Unless you purged it in your RPG purge a while back. I did not. I have like right. six, I think six Eberron books, if I'm not mistaken. I have not gotten okay. rid of any. Corb, I think, I, and they're all the three five books. Uh, Corb, Eberron, Sharn, the Player's Handbook, a couple others. Very cool. Yeah, I liked Eberron. We played in it for a while. We did not. I uh, was turned off of it relatively quickly. I had a buddy of mine who was like, he saw Keith Baker talk somewhere for some speaking engagement, or I don't know if it was at Gen Con, and he just came off. He he rubbed my buddy the wrong way as far as like, I think he said something because it was a contest and he won and I think, I think Keith was being facetious at the time but my buddy thought he was being kind of an egotist so he's like I'm never buying Eberron or a product oh. of his ever, and then I had a couple other people were commenting on it and so I grabbed it and we we liked it a lot but there's a weird thing sometimes when you dig too much into the person who created the thing either they're personality their personal life their history whatever sometimes you it can kind of <clears throat> it can 
um, wreck your ideas of the product that they make. Even though they may make amazing products that are really good for you, you may go, oh, but he or she is a terrible person, in my opinion. So therefore, this. So there, uh, I could see that happening. I could definitely see that happening. Yeah. All right, so we've got Matt Bonhoff on episode 52, Gear, the one just prior to this one. The conclusion you guys came to, uh, paraphrasing, quote, counting ammo can lead to dramatic choices, but ignore it if you want, unquote, was the same that one of the authors of Paranoia came to in 1984. Um, as an aside, Matt, I, I have played Paranoia. I had a lot of fun with it. It was just madness and insanity. I remember playing that. Um, section 13.5, Drawing Ammunition and Reloading. One of the one uh, Game Master handbooks starts by saying, um, drawing weapons in desperation when ambushed and hunching down behind a rock to reload are valuable dramatic tools in any action-adventure game. However, if using these rules seems too formal or requires too much bookkeeping for your taste, ignore them, unquote. You know, Matt, I think that's, that, that is, um, as uh, Mr. Sneezek likes to rib us for, you know, sometimes Sean and I bandy about a thing for a while and come down to, yeah, I think we could sum this up in like one sentence, and I think you did. Uh, basically, counting ammo can lead to dramatic choices, but ignore it if you want. So I think to our gear episode, it comes down to the types of stories and um, dramatic tension points that you want to create as to how detailed you want to get with your gear. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. So are we done with that part anyway? I think we are. All right, let's do it. All right. Michael Aldhauser, a friend of the show and sponsor, is the gamer behind the awesome dice bags available at grayedout.etsy.com. Yeah, I've got four of these awesome bags. These are stand-up bags, dual drawstring, tough as nails. He can do custom work. He's got a ton of things in his shop, custom colors. You name it, he can pull it off for you. Be sure to mention Gaming NBS for a 10% discount when you place your order. At the website grayedout, that's G R E Y E D O U T dot Etsy dot com. All right, let's get into the topic, shall we? Are you prepped? Are we ready? Oh, yeah, here it comes. That, boss? Which would be worse? To live as a monster or to die as a good man? Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Drop dead! I don't do requests. Why do you have to die? Let it die! Yeah, there you go. What's, nice. the to- what's the topic of the week, Brett? I want to talk about how hard it is to kill a player character. Die! We talked about, we talked about character deaths a while back, but... Back on, excuse me, episode 44, we talked about fudging die rolls. And Angela Murray had thrown, this is one of her, um, a piece of her response. I'm going to quote this out here. Um, fudging dice, um, quote, discussions talk about killing characters with a die roll, but no one ever mentions how hard it is to actually kill the characters in most modern games. I'm sure there are some OSR-style games that take the old-school lethality to heart, but for the most part, I haven't played a game where it's easy to die in ages. And I honestly prefer that, unquote. So the thing that Angela said, you know, almost 10 episodes ago, has been kind of kicking around in my head. It touched on when we talked about character death way earlier. Again, I don't remember what it is, so start at one, listen forward. And I'm looking at, I was talking, Sean and I were kind of chatting about it, and I was looking at how hard it is to, we were just playing our 5e game. 
uh, that Sean's game asked you for us last Wednesday. And granted, the dice were bad. <laughs> Sean had some oh, of the worst dice ever. Couldn't he, roll I, worth a shit. I think he rolled two or three things over a ten. I mean, I mean, I mean, I I rolled, I rolled, uh, yeah, I rolled poorly. Yeah, it's totally. I forgot <laughs> I rolled dice. I did roll dice. Yes, you did. We watched him. But anyhow, um, I just started thinking about this, and this John Wick has mentioned this before as well. But there's a lot of even in an OSR game, there's a lot of protection that's put around a character in order to keep that person alive. And there is, it seems, I guess I'm not sure. Um, when I heard Angela say this, or when I read when I read the response back in 44, as I said, it's been in my head for a while, and I'm like, is it really that hard to kill a character? And do we have enough character protection? Should there be more? Are there games where it's obviously very lethal? And I think in the uh, OSR style, people seem to th- believe that yeah, you can just you can just die like crazy, fucking die like in Dungeon Crawl Classics. I mean, that's just it's part of their mythology, if you will, to the game system that you can run a funnel. You start with four zero-level characters with a batch of eight of you. Everybody has four characters. By the end, you might have seven characters that have left that are left that actually survived. So, Sean, do you have, if I were to say, I, let me think about it. Do you think characters are too damn hard to kill to, nowadays? Yes. Back from when we yes. were kids? Yes, yes, yes. Next. Is that because the players are just so cunning and you just can't, they just outthink you? Is that why? Yeah, that's exactly it, Brett. <laughs> players are too cunning. Yes. Yeah, that's Clearly. what it is. No. It's those wretched rules. And, Damn those rules. And those rules outlining all the things that players can do. I'm they I don't know what happened to balance and CRs and all this other <laughs> crap. They implement in these new, these new, these new games, new found games. Now I remember. So Uh-oh. back in the day, the oh, OSR, OSR thing. Everybody used to say, "I gotta get a, I gotta get a grandpa." Hey, grandpa, back when I was young, kid, we played. We had crayons for our dice, and we liked it. <laughs> I had chits in a cup. I pulled the chits out and I read the numbers. Um, actually, I have uncut chits in a box set. Anyhow, um, people look at our OSR and say, "Well, it's it's really lethal. It's really dangerous." However, um, and this is from a, I don't even, I do not recall where John Wick said it, but I remember reading this or seeing him speak about it. Um, a character in even your basic D&D game, um, multiple different variations of it, but you have hit points to keep you alive. You have saving throws to keep you alive. Armor class to keep you alive. Just, just that itself. Goes on and on. Um, then and on. I don't know anybody who... I shouldn't say anybody, but most people I have run into do at least negative hit points, right? You can go to negative 10 and then you're dead. Or in Pathfinder, you can go past negative 10 if you got crazy cool constitution. Um, there's magic. I mean, in 5e, there's healing from a distance. <clears throat> Pathfinder had that that area of effect for clerics, you know, to reach out and do things. There's bennies, there's chips, there are tokens, other things you can do in a modern game that you can throw out and say, no, I knew guys that played... Um, even old school AD and D and stuff with a with a hero point system, or um, fate points in first edition Warhammer fantasy role playing. There are fate points. Every character has so many of them. You can use them to boom say no, I don't die here, or this this saves my ass. And sometimes I I look back 
at the things I've done with my games. And one of the things I've been doing lately is I'm like, I need to make this deadlier. I need to make it harder or or the threat increase. I want you to be terrified for your life because part of me is thinking that to get that gritty, it should be scary combat feeling, I want you to be able to die <laughs> easier. So I keep thinking, you know, what's the what's the real risk if I've got a stack of chips next to me or I can go to like negative 20 in hit points because I'm barbarian rage and I have 50 extra shadow hit points, whatever. I charge the dragon, fuck it, whatever. You know, it's almost impossible for me to die. How much intestinal fortitude does it actually take in a situation where you really probably aren't going to die? How is that even heroic? So this is what's rattling in my head. Sean, what, I'm going to shut up for a second and let you, let you. What is everything I just babbled out here? What does that bring to your mind? What would, do you think? What would you say again? God damn it. Can you repeat that part? Yes. The, everything I just said. <laughs> what is that? What does that bring to your oh. mind? Oh, yeah. Um... I think you're, I think I agree. Really? Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, death. I don't know what it, you know, there's some games out there that don't, that death isn't part of the game, even if it's a role-playing game. Like, I think Star Wars, Fantasy Flight games, they're, yes, you can die, but it really isn't a game that, it, it, it doesn't want death as a big part of the game. Uh, I don't know, I even really know how to say it, but it's just not one that if you're playing it, it's going to be an issue as much as maybe Dungeon Crawl Classics. Like that thing's notorious for death. Um, so I, first of all, when you talk about death, whether it's OSR or a quote-unquote modern game, and you say modern as in recently published in the last 15 years, not modern as in guns and, and era, Right. Yes, it's right. more of a modern game design, not right. modern setting. Right. The modern game design. Yes, modern game design. Um, I think there has, I don't know where the, I don't, I kind of have an idea of where the things have been flipped. Because growing up, we had people die in adventures, and it occurred, I mean, you'd always take four two to four guys player characters with you when you played first edition AD and D because that's kind of the way you did it. Like you the, to move your one cool character up, you had to have three others that would take the brunt. And then, you know, so you kind of mix the mash, like who would take the damage or who to put up front and who to shelter kind of in the adventure because it was known to be lethal. Call of Cthulhu was that way too. I mean, still is that way. You play basic role-playing Call of Cthulhu and you're stupid enough to engage a deep one in hand-to-hand combat, you're probably going to fucking die. But they haven't changed Call of Cthulhu in that respect. And I think with D&D and even with Pathfinder and some of the derivatives of of the D20 era and system, that has changed dramatically. I think there was a huge flop over to the players the leveling the playing field for the players. I don't know if it was conscious or not or what, but I mean, there's challenge ratings, right? So if you're going to design an encounter, you kind of, then you not get into de- Not too deadly to make sure that they have a chance, right. right? The dice could always go crazy on you, but. Like even the adventure the other night where I ran against you guys, I put some bandits and another captain bandit in there 
And uh, you had what? We had four players, four players, all yeah. level one. Mm-hmm. And I think the CR was probably above, it was above level one. All the bandits are like, I think an eighth CR. And there were five. And then I think the big, big bad bandit was a, a CR two. So I thought, okay, this could go, you know, we'll see. And I took you down. Me? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, just my guy. I mean, I, apart from the four of us, though, you finally took me down. After five, six rounds of combat, and we had, through good planning ahead of time, said, hey, I'm going to drop the spell on this person. We did this. We did this. We had a plan of attack. We were able to adjust quickly. But as players, I mean, Grant, your, your dice were incredibly cold. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. I, I couldn't hurt, hit worth a shit. But you took me down. And I'm like, oh, death saves. I right. got at least three chances. I got most likely three chances you, to live. But I think you rolled. So for those of you that aren't in the know on 5e, you hit zero or or less. What is it? Up to minus. I don't remember minus. You can 10. have it. There is sudden death. You can take too much damage and die out of, out of the gate. But otherwise, well, unless unless it's like instantaneous death, you pretty much go right to right de- to zero and start death saving. Right, and when you roll a death save, you have to roll above a ten on a d twenty three times, and then you you you're fine. Yep. If you don't. Uh, whatever comes first, rolling over 10 or lo- rolling below 10. If you roll below 10, you die. If you roll above 10, you you make, and you have to do that three times either way. Right. And usually in 5e, even in Doc's game that I play in, I mean, we've had guys go down. You might be down for maybe two saves, and then by then the combat is, is done, or a cleric or a healer comes over and ha- helps you out, like throws a heal on you, touches you, and you're fine. Then you're automatically done with the death saves and you're going to live um period so having said that i think uh that could have went anyway could and i think that's part of the thing right so you kind of have balanced it out and it could go either way so if sean was uh you know on fire eh, could i have tpk'd you guys i don't know maybe um but if it would have been an older older era game system yeah i was at zero i'm fucking dead you down me, I'm dead. Yeah, we there's, used to. There's nothing. We used to play like wacky rules every once in a while. We'd say, minus, I think we used to play neg 10. A lot of people I knew did. And I think. Like what, it was like neg, neg 5 to neg 10. You needed a heal. You couldn't just like stabilize them. Yeah, there was usually some, unless it was official, there was some house rule around it. Like yeah. you could stabilize them, whatever. Um, now you've got healing at a distance with certain systems. You can actually, there's a decent range on it besides touch. Or immediate proximity, you can heal it, you know, twenty paces or something like that. It, it's kind of cool, um, <clears throat> but I think I wonder if part of the um, the desire with your modern game design to keep characters alive longer is because it's not fun to die sometimes, right? Uh, my buddy Lenny's like, whatever, fucking die, and Kevin. I mean, Kevin will tell you, whoa, I died, I died. You know, new character. It, do- it doesn't phase him much. Um, but I have met other people that are really, really. They're really into their character. They like feeling or pretending to feel, perhaps, that it's touch and go, and at any minute this or that could have happened. But if you look at it from a system rules perspective, it's really freaking hard to kill somebody. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, Doc throws, I mean, we may be level, what are we now, fifth level, and he, he'll throw CR7s at us without a blink of an eye, and we... We manage it because I think we are decent players and we keep our sense about us. 
And Doc plays a relatively decent GM. Like, so if I'm the, and I, and this is how I'll preface that. If I'm the wizard and I don't want to get into combat and melee and I say, how far am I away from the front line? He'll tell me. And if I think I'm too close, I'll back up. And then when somebody's going to attack, he doesn't pick me out of a crowd just for the hell of it. So my wizard, you know, some of these guys that, I mean, I'm, I'm in the party with are barbarians who have like 60, 65 hit points and I've got 25. So, you know, easily he could just, eh, here comes a boulder coming your way and steamroll me. But in that respect, he knows like, well, the wizard isn't going to be in the front line. He's going to be dropped back. And if Sean does come up or whatever, then, you know, this, this, the landscape changes. But I mean, you know, you're talking, he's throwing some heavy, heavy duty stuff with us. He'll usually drop one of us, but we'll, we'll come out ahead. I don't know. So do you, let me think about this. One of the things that I do like about Call of Cthulhu, and even uh, the gumshoe system, you can get killed pretty fucking quick in gumshoe. If you're not paying attention. Well, that's good. Well, okay. Yeah. That's a modern game. You, you can, you can yeah. totally get, you can totally get axed there if you're not paying attention to yourself or when you're, or when you're hit in Call of Cthulhu or a game where there is no magical healing, which is one of the reasons, um, I don't know if we talked about this when we talked about modern settings, but people get a little not too fun on modern settings is you you take, you know, 20 points of damage. It might take you two months in the kind of lesson home or hospital to heal that much damage. Um, and therefore, you're out of the action. Um, where the hell am I going with this? So, Sean, I, part of me thinks that if you don't – I want my games to be more deadly. And I keep thinking, <clears throat> do I mod, do I hack the rule system? Do I – fucking ignore that rule do i say get rid of that make criticals easier i mean shit in the 3-0 and pathfinder you have to confirm a critical right that's not only making it even harder to crit the bad guy but even harder for the crit to kill you as a as a, as the good guy because <clears throat> it's even harder for monsters to do it because i got to do it twice to make it work at least in uh, 5e they got rid of that you, you crit you crit um sean do you th- um in the games you run do you wish they were more deadly as far as characters should be more more afraid, um, I think there should be. If you're going to run a campaign and you talk it over with your players, I think there needs to be an understanding or an agreement amongst everybody involved that the lethality of the game is there or not. And I don't, I don't think I talked it over with you guys. No, we didn't. We didn't hash that out. We talked about, however, to go back, though, in time, we did talk about what kind of stories do we want to tell, what kind of things do we want to accomplish, and we talked about how we want to have good role-playing, we want to get into our characters. So one of the byproducts of that is that some of our characters are such that they are reckless or they're nervous or they're scared. So one of the things that we said we were going to do was we are going to play true to the character and not ignore the rules but basically by playing true to the character even if the rule itself were to say look brett you're, you'd totally be safe you have 25 percent of hit points you've got x percentage you know it's the uh what's the uh misdirector mark brought it up last time too it's the leroy jenkins thing right yeah. we sit down and you and you plot through all the numbers oh, i got a 33 chance of success when you just ignore that go no dude i'm not doing it my character's scared i don't like fire i have it says on my character sheet i'm afraid of fire things therefore i'm not going into that room um so that's a way that as a player, if you're playing your character appropriately, you can invoke the fear of death um, 
even if the system itself were to tell you, hey, Sean, guess what? You you and Mark and and uh, and and Billy are playing with us, and you could totally be fine, you know, by the system. No, no, dude, we're we're scared of that thing. We have a joint background, and we're scared of lizard men, so we're not going in there without more firepower because we're fucking scared. So there's a way I think as a player you can have your character feel the fear, but you have to play to your character's background history and all that stuff. Yeah. I I really just uh, there's a I don't know con game wouldn't be good for it but I've always wanted to run a campaign where right out of the gate I drop a character without a blink of an eye just bringing out some big huge hammer boom gone <laughs> on purpose just look yeah look look y'all set I can fucking kill you set the tone right now <laughs> set the tone like one of you are going to die and don't even tell them like my son did he TPK on the first door bam. It's fucking dangerous. <laughs> yeah, adventuring the only is dangerous. Didn't swear at me, but he was like, "Hey." But I don't. I think that over time there has been this. Um, the story trumps death, but the death, but death is not incorporated into the story. It never really has. I mean, somebody dies. Hey, man, has he got some good boots? Uh, how much gold does he have on him? And then can't take that. I have a will at the bottom of my one e character sheet. Says will I. You know, Claudio the Mighty. Oh, that's right. You hereby give my stuff to my next character. Ha ha ha. Yeah, that's right. There's a will on the old character sheets that are that's awesome. And you know what? Some of that can kind of be kind of cool. But I think in the in the olden days, in the olden days, Brett. You know, you remember them back when the four sides were circles. That's right. <laughs> um. I think once you had a character get above fourth or fifth, then it was shit, man. We gotta, we gotta find like we gotta resurrect this guy or or go on a quest and bring him back. Well, I mean, what can we do? So then it meant something. But at like earlier levels, it was like, oh, yep. What do you got on your guy? I'm gonna loot him. And even to this day, some groups play that way. I don't know. But over time, there's been this, you know, not an aversion. It's just. The level, more level playing field. Well, if you, so something you said there, this just bubbled to the front of my brain here, is that we put more emphasis now on some of the more modern, the current designing games that we have around, <clears throat> even D&D 5e. You read the first, like, half of that book is all about character gen. You put a lot of time and effort and energy into this cool background and this great story, and this character's supposed to fit this setting. You want to tell this really cool story, or you just want to play this really cool game. You want to encounter kick-ass things. You want to be a cool superhero. And uh, then you die. You're like, whoa. <clears throat> I spent all this time yeah. where old school, OSR, back in the day, like, look, you know, it was Thrandur the Knight. And if Thrandur got to fifth level, I might tell you where he came from. That's right. So I think as the game has become perhaps more than just a war game, if you will, if you're playing Warhammer Fantasy Battles or or a Dust or something along those lines, you can have your favorite character mini on the table but if he gets whacked or she gets taken out by the uh, by the female sorceress from the other side, like, God damn, she's out. Son of a bitch. I love that character. Oh, well, let's see what my dwarves can do now. Um, but you don't – it doesn't have the same feel as a character with this intense backstory that you put into it because you want to have this really cool thing. And if you OSR style it, like, look, yeah, it's Thrandur the, the farmer who eventually becomes Thrandur the 20th level paladin – well, you care about Thrandur's farming past by the time he's like fifth level. 
Apart from that, though, he's just, you know, FNG1, which stands for fucking new guy, in case you didn't know. Yeah. Or, or red shirt. I mean, he's just that guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And I think that's where DCC and some other games shine. Uh, now we, I know when I say DCC, it's because it's a game I'm familiar with that incorporates that. You know, there are other games. We're not simply isolating all of them out there. Um, and I'm sure we'll get some comments like, yeah, this game does exactly that, and it's very similar, and it's... Honestly, you know, I, I, just to break for a second, I love it when the listeners come back with that shit, and I know you do too, because, oh my, I completely forgot about that game. I didn't know enough about that game. I've learned a lot coming back from the folks who are like, hey, you're wrong, or wait, you forgot these 10 games. That's cool. So yeah. hit us with that shit, man. If we're yeah. missing something, we're missing it. I want to know. Yeah, and but see now, with the group that we're playing with, or that I'm running with you and the gang, Kefthulu and... And Jim and Steve and Austin, Austin um, I feel comfortable that everybody would understand a death. Uh, I I think there may be uh, it may be hard a little bit, but they'll get over it and make another guy. But I do agree that there is a little bit of where did you come from? What did you do? And and maybe that can be downplayed until you get up to certain levels. But yeah, I think it's just a. I don't know. It's a story thing. Like, hey, we want to live because we all want to get together. And then if somebody dies, how do you incorporate a new player character, which isn't always, it's easy to do it because you can just go to the old tropes and just say, hey, Merry Adventurer, you look like a strong individual. Won't you join us? And it's kind of like cheesy, you know? I mean, I used to have groups where if I died and I had to join the group, I was automatically you know, a suspect and everything. And so then I'd get tied up and, you know, they would never trust me. And then it would just be this big, huge schism, even within the group. And it, it, sometimes that's good for a story, but then I, I could never, re- and they wouldn't allow me to prove myself, even if I did. And I would sit there and logically point out like, look, I'm not responsible for this. You found me tied up. I'm not responsible for yeah. the enslavement of these individuals. Oh yeah. Right. You know, I'm going to keep an eye on them, blah, 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 blah. And it goes on and 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 on. Ten levels later, like, Jesus, man. Life ten times last week alone. Come on. Yeah. Break. I'm proving I'm a clerical. Where was he during combat? Oh, you know, he went and snuck off. Well, I'm a thief, dude. That's what I do. I go and sneak, and then I do a sneak attack. Oh, I didn't see you take any people down. I mean, it just never ended. And it really heated up some gaming discussions with the group when that would occur, I'm like, dudes, you guys got to like loosen up a little bit here. You know, while we're talking about that piece, it, it, this is kind of a summation perhaps of a couple different other episodes that we've had, but I, I'm feeling that we said this before, you know, what kind of story do you want to tell? Is that the type of, <clears throat> is that the type of uh, tense moment you want to have that, Oh my God, I almost died. Or I'm terrified that I only have two hit points left. Shit. I should be scared. Because one more hit from the guy who's been doing six hit points on on average means I'm dead and I can't come back. Now, a way, and perhaps this is a hack, if you will, I would almost steal from our gear discussion that they do in Dungeon World. And um, oh, we had a pretty good discussion on our community about this. Nizak brought it up. And God, I cannot remember the gentleman who also mentioned it. I'll see if I can find it while, we're, while I'm talking here. But the concept of the hard move or the hard choice, right? Where if you, quote unquote, can't kill the character because this is, I mean, there's always the way you can just go, fuck it, you're dead. I'm sorry, too much damage, you're gone. You can always use the system to kill somebody. But 
the idea that um, a hard choice, right, where you come back through and you say, hey, you could um, – it's Ben Blanding. Ben Blanding was the other gentleman. Um, where Ben says, hey, you know, you do that or you lose your shield. I'll let you – you'll live or you took a ton of damage and you're down to your death saving throw. And guess what? Because we set this up, your armor's, your armor's shivered. It's gone. Really? Yeah. That was the last hit. Your armor's gone. Son of a bitch. Yep. Death saving throws go for it, but you have no armor. So now I've impacted your character in a way that could make that makes for conceivably, I think anyway, good narrative story. Because not only have I been struck this blow, or I watch you, my mage friend, or my decker, you know, we're in a firefight in a Shadowrun game, and you're the decker, you're jacked in the corner, bam, you get shot and you're down. You're not dead yet because the system lets you stay alive, but it hit you and Game Master says, guess what? You lose this. You're, this cybernetic implant is shot or this is destroyed. And it changes your character as a life-changing event of almost dying probably should. Um, and then it becomes a, a cool thing. Or he says, no, I don't. Oh, shit, I don't want to lose that. What else will you give up to keep that thing? You have to lose something, Sean. What are you going to give up to keep that thing then? My pride. Your pride. <laughs> Does that make sense? Is yeah. That, it feels like a, a narrative hack. Like if you want, I think we're talking about we want to keep a really cool narrative here. We want to really keep it so that the the player, at least from a, again, I'm, we're overly generalizing here, but from a modern current gaming design perspective, death is hard, partly because we don't want to be meaningless. I don't want the capriciousness of a die roll just to snuff you out. But now I'm making it a little bit more. You failed. This failed. You got hit really hard. And you're going to lose something because of it. Yeah, and then you're, then you're talking about a, a trade-off. Yes. And a hard trade-off. Nothing softy-soft. Yeah. Well, you, you can take all my leather pouches. No, 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 no. I don't think so. How about your boots of speed? How, well, about, how about that How about that? Um, really cool, you know, super tricked out, you know, M4 your guy carries? No, that's how, shot. How about how about an arm? How about a hand? How about a... a Critical a, hits, right? Just well, like... But the, I think that, I think you're being too soft, man. Well, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm following you, dude. That's that's totally legit. You're you're taking down. Guess what? You lost three fingers off your left hand because you went down. You can go one to negative whatever. Every time you fail that death save in five e, guess what? Um, you got gangrene. You lose your hand. So I think uh, there is an element here that you have you've sparked something in my mind, Brett. Yay! Yeah. Hey, that's all right, man. That deserves one of those. Absolutely. So, so I think what it is is that um, so with with games that rely on heavier mechanics, and I say heavier mechanics when it comes to tactical numbers, um, you roll up a per, you roll up your character, and he's going to be fighter. So fighter is going to be always combat driven. Uh, they're going to have high con. High, and I say this is in the typical D and D ish type game with the you know the abilities, the six of them. So you have a high con and high hit points and high armor class and high strength and your damage dealer. So you create that around that person, wizard intelligence spells, whatever the ability to do that stuff. Insert every class and its its emphasis, right? So you have the character concept, and then when you face death and you give them a hard choice like, okay, Mr. Fightor, Mrs. Fightor, you either die 
or you you get an arm chopped off, all of a sudden their character concept is vastly changed. I was a two weapon fighter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was is he? Is and then I then I think it's a. Uh, then the dynamic changes dramatically because then somebody may throw up their hands and go, well, then why the hell am I even going to play this you know, person? Why am I going to play a fighter and I can't even fight? How am I going to play a wizard when you know my intelligence is shot or, or something like that and I can't remember anything? So story, great, but then you're messing with the, the, the concept and then the players may be irked, uh, the player may be irked at, now, now I'm not playing what I want. True. So my answer to that, if we talk narrative, and this is something that I think is, um, <clears throat> let's see, when uh, when we had Chris and Phil on for episode 50, we talked about players, and one of the things we talked about was the ability to, on the fly, say, hey, I'm from West Townington next to River Cold Run or whatever, yeah. right? Where you can, we can kind of do it on the fly. One of the things I think that as game masters we should do then, if we're going to up the up the damage, right? So I fuck with your decker and I take his hand and his deck is shot. Well, he needs both his hands. He's blind in one eye now. He suffered so much near death damage. He's like, I got to walk this guy away. I got to retire this character. He's not dead, but he's unplayable in the role. I need to bring in a new character or I need to bring in a new mage because this guy is, you know, useless mage man. He can't advance past whatever level because he has no hands or he's blind or whatever. Okay. Then, as Game Master, you bring in the new character concept, even if it's quote-unquote half-done, half-baked, not completely riveted out. You say, look, here's some quick bullet points for you. Pick a character in this room, that pick a character at the table you know, you have history with. Um, Phil's character, good. Pick a character at the table you don't like. I don't like Chris, and I don't like, I don't like Kevin. Can I not like two? Sure, don't like two people, that's fine. But that quick bond piece, stealing from Dungeon World, if you will, and... Maybe this comes down to a cheat sheet. Maybe this is something I should... Fuck, now this is hitting me. I should come up with a bullet point of list. But something where you just go bam, 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 bam. Five quick questions you can answer that connect you to the group. Off you go. And then, as we talked about in episode 50, as you're rolling it along and the opportunity comes, as like we used to say with the OSR guys, when you're finally 10th level paladin, you say, oh, yeah, I come from Farmington and my parents were Mr. and Mrs. Farmington. If that's what you want to do, you can roll that into your narrative as you go along. When a character does something, you have narrative opportunity with the new guy and some more color to it. Everyone knew the background of Sean's amazing mage. Now Sean's new amazing sorcerer or warlock or whatever. Now you have the opportunity to roll that in. Does that make is what I'm saying making sense to you? This just hit me now. It's not like like oh my god amazing thought here but it just it feels like something that we as game masters could then encourage if i'm going to run somebody through a game where hey death is a real factor you're going to die oh don't worry if you're attached to your character because here's how you make a new really cool guy and boom he or she is in and she can just roll and she can be connected to everybody and she's just as cool as the last character you had what do you think yeah and i think people could do that um through the through their previous players' backgrounds, right? So they make up, you know, you need to make up three contacts. Yep. And then keeping in mind that any of those three contacts are are characters that you would want to play as a player in case your main person dies. 
Uh, you used yeah. to do that in Call of Cthulhu all the time, right? You run through the entire, you know, Smythe family tree going through because old man Smythe was the first investigator. And by the by the time you're, they're all fucking dead or insane. You're down to the great, great, great grandnephew. But similar approach, though. You have contacts, you know people, keep track of them. As even a game master, right? Hey, they've encountered five NPCs that were pretty cool. There's always the opportunity to roll a cool P- NPC to the group who's a friend and have them adventure in at the appropriate power level, whatever that might be. Well, <laughs> so that's guess, that's another sorry. issue too, is like if when you bring back somebody and there's a death, do you bring them back at the same level or a couple levels below? And some will say, well, yeah, because the player's there, they should just kind of be able to keep up, right? Why, why should that play a role? Why should that be a negative thing if their character dies and they have to recreate an individual? Some would say, well, that individual hasn't gone through the same adventures to gain the experience or that hasn't gone through the same exp- but then i'm punishing the player because he gets a less experienced character just because the dice were capricious and he died yeah right so i, right. I get that yeah so i guess the my thought here is that even if i were to amp up the death there's some really cool narrative ways to either get characters in so they can have really cool amazing backgrounds and kind of roll with it even if I don't fuck around with the death mechanics themselves, I can use some of those hard choices. Next time a guy goes down, um, you're going to lose a foot. Sorry, he hits you with his, <clears throat> the giant hits you with the club, your shield is shivered, done. Really? Yeah. You're at negative too. By the way, start rolling death saves or start doing whatever it is you got to do to stabilize. But yeah, your armor's gone. Or you hit by a fireball, therefore all the stuff is destroyed. Or you're burned, you're Freddy Kruegered, you know, whatever it is. That way to uh, amp that up. And even then, even if you can't die, you have some physical fuck moment where you're like, <laughs> I almost wish I would have died and I wouldn't be a gimp. Well, then you start getting in, you could start getting into the player character's um, mental state where now they were awesome, proud fighter, and now that fighter has lost everything that's they've stood for. Yeah, ask Lenny about Mecca Howard one time. His guy, uh, his paladin died and was brought back by a horrible ear-eating, I mentioned this Milo Fiddle about him, the evil necromantic fucking halfling, brought him back into some Frankenstein-like cre- creation. <laughs> it was a wreck, poor Howard. It's Lieutenant Dan, man, from Forrest Gump. He's, it's, that's like the, you know... Actually, he was supposed to die in battle. That was his kind of destiny. And then, of course, he had both legs amputated and yep. it was now like a mess. He, now he kind of wishes he was dead, doesn't yeah. want to die, that whole bit, yeah. Yeah, and then he, he takes a whole downward spiral. Yeah, I don't know if that would ever make a make it into an RPG fantasy campaign. where <laughs> the, the downward mental spiral of, watch, okay, watch the track of, Da, 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 yeah. Depression, alcoholism, drug addiction, debt. Oh my god, this yeah. is this is called depression. The the role playing game. This would be terrible. Nobody would want to play that to escape. No. Um, but I think what I'm drawing here from a conclusion is that even if it might be hard, as Angela Murray said, it might be hard to kill a person in a modern design game. In many of the ones that she has seen, or that you and I are thinking of off the top of our heads here, or even that have kind of noodled on beforehand. I think you can do enough hard choices and you can do a couple other really cool things in narrative <clears throat> that will affect the character, affect their uh, their belongings at least or their physical appearance or something to make them 
fear death or make them fear going, you know, taking tons of damage, which is kind of what we're, we're trying to get to here. We want them to be afraid of combat. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, not necessarily afraid of combat. I want them to uh, be afraid or worried about the the uh, ramifications of combat. And when they do it and survive, to really feel like they survived something that could have been dangerous, you know, have that heroic, oh, my God, I went through hell and back. Um, and if you do run the OSR style of, Sorry, you fucking died in your 10th level. Too bad. Make a new 10th level character. If we do the uh, the bonds, the character ad hoc, if you will, narrative, walk around the table, who do you know, who do you not like, what's your connection to Phil's character, what's your connection to Kevin's character, you've got, you've got something there you can grab and work with so that you've got a really cool character who's just as cool as the last the last person you made, so she's just as awesome as the last sorceress you had who unfortunately died from the dragon or whatever. Yeah, I also think that there might be uh, an interesting dynamic with the, okay, you like, so for example, your situation where I downed you, uh, zero, I'm, I'm at zero, boom, done. Okay, start making saves. Now I have, but I have, I still have a uh, beastie, big bad guy or whatever, and maybe do they know that you're dead or not? So I always I always picture like a big combat with maybe even big creatures like I don't know maybe a huge troll. Well, I did that to that female right when she was down. I asked you, is she dead? And you yeah. said, well, no. I said, fuck it. I stabbed my my short sword right through her chest and pinned her to the ground. I want her dead. Right. What if he What if he did that to me? Right. Exactly. That's my thought. So maybe they do. So then then players will get bent out of shape because then you're being a dickhead. I don't. I think. I think. But. I think it can be done, but I think as a GM, you can't do it all the time. So every combat, if somebody downs, get you know gets laid wasted and put down, in, you know it's it's typical for the GM to go okay, then the person goes after you, rather than do that. Why don't they just like take Savage a the body. step forward and step on their head or just boop coup de gras and. Yeah. Now Cut you're dead. Off. Only one way to be sure. Yeah. Hold up the body, grab the body by the top of the head, and then make a really big sword arc and chop off their head. I mean, then then it's done. But that we don't do that. No, we don't. You know. But so here's the lesson. Uh if you have Angela Murray as a player in your game. Killer. <laughs> yeah. Killer character for God's sakes. Or if you've got Angela Murray running a game for you, yeah. Watch your ass. <laughs> That's right. I mean, Fucking afraid and pay attention because uh, she's coming for you. We know that. <laughs> That's right because she wants to see more death. Actually, I like I like that idea though of the um, and you can narrate that in with the bad guys, right? The first time they go through, you got a couple NPCs or you you come upon a battle, even in modern firefight. Bam, 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 bam. You watch the bad guys come across. Doosh, he shoots the. Other, he's already dead. He shoots him in the head one more time, just to be sure. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Heal. Oh, heal this guy. Just to be sure on me. Good luck healing. Healing that guy. The back of his head's blown off. Right. Yeah. I like it. All right, man. So it's not necessarily. It, it may be harder to kill him, but you can still make him pay. <laughs> I think that's what we're coming down yeah. to. Yeah. So in the end, if you can't kill him, make him pay. Make it hurt. Make them wish they were dead. So we've, we, you know, there's the yes and, right? Narrative. Absolutely. Now it's the make them pay. Kill them or make them pay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is your player crying? Do it again. That's right. Is <laughs> that the biggest, baddest player character in the party, and you downed him, but you know that that cleric's going to exactly. make their way over in the next round? Well, you're only five feet away from that guy. Squish. Nice. Yeah, do one of these. Except they won't hear the ting-ting. They just hear the hack, chalk, chalk. Nice. Cool. Yeah. All right, should we get into die roll? Let's do the die roll, brother. All right. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to share with you. Brett has three. I do have three. I have three. First one, Fantasy Flight has acquired Legend of the Five Rings. Oh, they have? Yeah, Legend of the Five Rings. They got it. That's kind of cool. I I learned about that. I follow John Wick. He's much more active on Facebook than he is on Google+. Shame on you, John. Not that he listens to me, but anyway, shame on you, John. Um, so obviously John Wick, big Legend of the Five Rings guy. Um, Fantasy Flight's got it. Take a look. So who who owned it before? Was it AEG? I believe so. Yeah. Yep. Um, speaking of Facebook, Orcs of New York. People have done Humans of New York. These guys, it's on Facebook only. It's a page. It's Orcs of New York. Orcs in different areas saying, yeah, I kind of grew up in the old country. You know, I've been a vegetarian since I was 12. They take pictures of Orcs from the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies and like stick them in different places in New York. It's, I don't know. It's funny as hell to me. How, makes hell, me how did you come across that thing? Somebody, somebody posted up. I'm like, wait a minute. What is this? Because, you know, I'm a nerd, so I'm like, oh, my God, Orcs in New York? This is fucking hilarious. So I started poking around. I got a link out there. Take a look at it. It's, it's cool. Um, Bruce Cunnington, uh, one of our um, listeners from out in the U.K., um, pointed us at a Kickstarter here, The Last Prayer of the Dying. It's a Kickstarter he's got. Uh, I should say he's got. Excuse me. He pointed us to. I started poking around. It's um, by John R. Davis. Um it's, I think he's totally, oh, is he totally, is he totally um, backed out already? He might be, but anyway, this is, I, I want to call this out there because this is one of those really cool little bitty things. He was only going for like 350 pounds, right, from a cash perspective. It was not a whole heap and hell of a lot. I'm not necessarily saying, hey, go back this thing. I What I'm getting to now is I'm looking at more and more of these Kickstarters, like our buddies over at Misdirected Mark, when they did Mr. Uh, when they did the Misdirected, when they did the part-time Gods of Fate, it was a minimal dollar investment. They're like, "Look, I need to do this for this very particular thing that'll help us do X, Y, and Z." There wasn't a shit ton of stretch goals. It wasn't like crazy insanity out there. You look at this, and with what he was looking for, like you know what, I, I, this guy could pull this off. He's got the chops. He's got what it takes. So I think for me, when I look at Kickstarters now. I start looking at what they're asking for, and if they're up in the high thousands, I start to question the viability. When I see middle to high hundreds, I'm thinking, all right, they're not being greedy. They're not looking at this as a way to quit their day job. So uh, anyway, that's one of those things that to me, and my buddy Lenny always says Kickstarters are a sucker's game, but regardless, that's one of the things that turns me on to a Kickstarter is a what I consider a reasonable dollar amount that they're looking for. Anyway, John, over to you. Uh, Chris Tulak, which is a, I think he's a native Wisconsin individual. He works for Wizards of the Coast. He used to work, uh, he used to be the oh, triad or circle for Greyhawk, Living Greyhawk. He went to Wizards and has been there for a few years. Writes an article called The Public Dungeon Master. Puts out some tips on dungeon mastering in the public. So how, how do you handle 
So when you, one of the premises of the article is you're playing a home game, you know the players, and you know how to run the game for the for your group because you're familiar with the players and how they play. Was like a con game thing? Uh, this could be could be applied to a con game one shot. Uh, okay. you know an FLGS game that you're going to run, uh, and you don't know the people and they show up. So check that out. I thought it was an interesting article on Wizards a website that Chris wrote. Neat. Neat. Number two, Minneapolis Long Con, October 23rd and 25th. One game, one table, three days. So it's a uh, it's taken after another con, kind of the format. is is modeled after another con, and that one escapes me, and it'll be in the article. But basically, it's a small gaming convention where gamers get together and play one game with the same table over the course of a weekend. Interesting. We should... Uh... I wonder if Kevin and Austin are going to make it. They're uh, Minneapolis area. We should see if they're going to go. Well, they may not know about it, but if they listen to this show. Hopefully they, they'll check it out. And you're in the Minneapolis area or during that weekend or want to make the trek up to Minneapolis. I think nothing it, else. It has to be a better experience than the horrible experience <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Kevin documented in a seven-page email. Well, and that's, I mean, talk about signing up to run a game there. One game, one table, three days? Holy cow, you better have some material. You know, I'll tell you, man, I kind of, that sounds really sexy to me. I like campaigns, even mini campaigns. I like the idea. There's something kind of yeah, cool about that. but would you go to Evercon and run, or even Gamehole and run one game, one table for three days? Now, I don't know if that's rotating players in. I don't know either. I'm going to have to check that out. Or, or I tell you, you, man, I don't know. It could be cool. Or, it could be really cool. I don't know. Yeah. Or you show, or you have the whoever shows up, they they play the whole weekend. I don't know. And do and are there players that want to go in and do that, or do they want to sample? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. FX series premiere on the fifteenth, which is when is that Tuesday? Tom- yes. Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. When this drops at noon that evening, the bastard executioner premieres. Yes, it's the uh, new incarnation of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, the uh, the Same guy. creator of the yep. Sons of Anarchy or something's doing that series. It's uh, a medieval world. I don't know much about it. There's a trailer out there and a link in the show notes. My wife was a huge Sons of Anarchy fan, and I'm assuming I'm going to watch this, which I'm much more interested in. Yeah. So. Well, she's got her own... Son of anarchy, doesn't she, Brett? <laughs> nice, yeah, yes, that's that's me. That's Brett's kind of he's a motorcycle guy that just never got into the gangs, <laughs> mostly because I have these soft little typist hands. <laughs> I can barely change my own oil. That guy, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's, not, that's not true. I can change my own oil, <laughs> but I do have soft typist hands. <laughs> anyway, I'm a project manager. I can't be doing meth runs. <laughs> exactly. All right, so, oh my gosh. Yeah, so that wraps it up for this episode of Gaming and BS, brought to you by Utter BSers, Joe Swift, Kev Dulu, and Jeff Rademacher. Yes, there's some of our upstanding patrons. Thank you, gentlemen. Yes, thank you very much, everybody, for supporting the show. Uh, if you uh, have a comment about death, you'll be able to find this at BS forward slash 053. Leave us a comment there on how you would handle it or any innovative waves, waves, ways that you might find interesting. Yep. Check out our webpage, our Patreon account, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all.